Hey everyone, welcome to Faith in Capital. I'm your host, Chase Tibbs. A prelude to Advent, I thought might get us thinking about the ways in which Advent theology could be rethought for Christians who are committed socialists and communists. Starting with the first Sunday of Advent, I'm going to pick one of the lectionary texts to engage with each week. But first, there are some more traditional assumptions and tendencies of popular Advent theology that I thought we could kind of mess with and flip on their head. Despite Advent largely being a passive, abstract, inconsequential season for most Christians today, Advent, I believe, could be engaged in a way that demands followers of Christ to give their life to material and historical emancipatory struggles for liberation. I think Christian faith is actually an incredibly heavy burden. You know, there's a cross that God calls us to bear, and this burden, this commitment to solidarity and struggling not only for emancipation from this world, but the realization of an alternative one, you, know, you might call this the process of salvation, this, this burden demands of us our lives, not just our intellect, a, a section of our library, or a portion of our social media posts. And so in this prelude, I want us to rethink Advent in a way that takes seriously the call to pick up our cross, disrupt the material relationships and ideas of this world, and build something radically more life-affirming. Shall we? As a future-oriented season of anticipation, Advent is also a season of awakening. It is a time in the Christian tradition in which we are reminded by God, by the scriptures, by humanity's historical witness to the spirit of liberation, that this is not the end. God has not abandoned the world, and neither should we. The world not only could be made better, it must be remade, recreated, rebuilt. Advent is, in part, a season where we can intentionally reflect upon what kind of world God and we actually want to make. We'll see this in some of the scriptures the lectionary is going to give us, and out of our anticipation of what could come about, our anticipation of a future world we actually would want to live in, we can turn to the present and begin to identify the things about this world that have to change. Sure. For example, lots of Christians might imagine a world without poverty, anti-blackness, or a global gendered division of labor. But Advent is a season when we should consider what exactly has to change for those things to be abolished. There are unnecessary class, social, and political hierarchies, particular ways of being organized at work and in the community, at the roots of this world that must be disrupted. And Advent should be a time that helps us interrogate the particular structures and relationships, as well as the ideas and values that powerfully shape and order this world. As we anticipate and imagine a more emancipated humanity, perhaps a world without exploitation, unmet needs, and what W.E.B. Du Bois referred to as the color line, we also must name the specific systems or ideologies that need destroyed. How can we speak of universal freedom if people are divided into classes, into those who own the forces of production and the means of survival, and those who do not possess those things, those who govern the labor of others and those who are excluded from democratically determining their life and their work? 
how can we anticipate a new way of being human together when the kind of labor that a person will perform and the length of life that a person is likely to live is largely shaped by the color of their skin and their genitals? Advent compels us to take seriously how the established order is organized and what divisions of power must be toppled for a wholly other world to emerge. Again, the point here I am wanting to make is that while Advent reminds us that God has not abandoned us, that this is not the end, it should also compel us to ask what specifically has to change in our personal lives, in our communities, at our places of work, across the entire world, if a new world is to come. Something else to consider regarding this season is that Advent, I believe, would be most transformative if our anticipation was grounded in collective and personal praxis. And by that I mean, Advent should be a season of participation in real, material struggles. Of course, preparation and anticipation requires the turning of our hearts and minds, right? The, the transformation of our desires and our wants, the radicalization of our political and spiritual consciousness. But our being reshaped should not be confined to our beliefs and analyses and desires. Advent will be most transformative for those who prepare and anticipate in real historical struggles, right? In actual organized efforts. Yes, we have to critically think about where we want to go and how we can actually get there. But if we are not anticipating, or we might say struggling, collectively in communities that are organizing for change and building for power, it doesn't matter what alternative world we are praying about. Our anticipation will sorely lack grounded experience and will likely end up fruitless in the face of systems that are really good at reproducing themselves. If we want ourselves and fellow members of the body of Christ to be transformed in the season of Advent, we should consider how anticipation without praxis, preparation without concretely being grounded in communal struggles and people's movements, will most likely fail to actually be transformative both for the individual persons and for the community, which isn't that the point? Another way of thinking about this is to say that there are Christian idealists and Christian materialists. Christian idealists believe that the world is primarily shaped and transformed by thinking or believing, right? Change people's beliefs or, theory, or their theology, and you can alter the world fundamentally. But Advent for Christian materialists would take seriously not only our theologies, right, our ways of thinking, but also our way of being and actually relating to people and to the planet. And actual, on-the-ground struggles, whether they be against a particular corporation, a boss, a landlord, a lender, the cops, maybe a city council, or the board of a local school district, right? These historical and material fights are the best way for people's consciousness, right, their political and their spiritual consciousness, and their lives to be radically transformed and renewed. Which leads us to what historical participation might ask of us. 
if Advent were to become material and historical, right, grounded in struggles between oppressors and the oppressed, exploiters and the exploited, our anticipation of a more democratic and liberated world would require us to take sides on real historical events. This is something that Gustavo Gutierrez in A Theology of Liberation, which we're actually going to do an episode on next, um, and other liberation theologians have stressed again and again. It is not enough to talk about liberation in the abstract, but not choose sides during historical events. That's called neutrality, and it structurally sides with the empowered and enabled against the disempowered and constricted. While liberalism wants us to believe, not unlike Pilate, that if we refuse to verbally support either side of the conflict, our hands can wa you know, be washed pure and clean, refusing to take a stand in historical conflicts and events just means you passively opt for the side that is currently in power. In contrast, our Advent theology should demand that Christians take sides, that we opt for one side in the struggle for freedom against those who wish to prevent it. Even further, for most Christians today, theology around Advent is often articulated as a season of progress, unity, and peace. And this is our next point. What if instead of participating in a perfecting, progressing, or completing of this world, Advent prioritized the rupturing of certain systems and the destruction of unnecessarily violent relations so that another world could actually be built. Just to offer one example, assuming we would want a world after capitalism, uh, a world without exploitation and genuinely governed uh, by the masses of people for the masses of people, as opposed to a world by and for ruling classes or dominant capitalist nations then we have to take seriously what it is going to take to get beyond capitalism into socialism. Of course, we're all familiar with the popular desire to simply want to escape capitalism, right? For basic reasons we talk about often on this show, that's not happening. But the tendency that I think may even be a greater barrier is the strand of socialism creeping in that suggests we can non-violently and electorally build our way out of capitalism. That is, if we just def defund some institutions and fund other institutions, we can over time gradually transition out of capitalism and into socialism. But a Marxist theory of the state, a brief history lesson, and the organic decolonial analysis of colonized peoples can show us that there is no gradually building our way out of capitalism. Instead, what if we were to say that rebuilding needs to be accompanied by destruction? Reform needs accompanied by eventual ruptures and revolutions. Advent invites us to participate in the realization of the coming kingdom of God in a more beloved community, not by placing our hope in the gradual reforming of certain structures or the unifying of people under systems of exploitation and oppression, but by the smashing, toppling, even traumatization of the status quo. Advent for committed socialists and communists could be a season where Christians ultimately anticipate not wholeness, oneness or the reform work 
we may be doing in the now, but a future fundamental rupture of our current order of things. Something else we might want to consider is that while utopias play an important role in both helping us imagine better worlds and identifying the specific things we want to change about the one that we're living in, as we've already discussed, any future world that is realized will lack, will be incomplete, will be unfulfilling, and will fail. There is no such thing as a perfectly unified world, one that is without contradictions and conflicts. Neither the kingdom of God nor Marx's higher phase of communism, in my mind, are static states of being that are to be absolutely or permanently realized and achieved. If communism is a world without alienation and exploitation, a world without contradicting classes, borders, states, and money, a world where everyone collectively puts in what they can on the production side and only takes what they need out of love and solidarity, then I think... As a communist, it is important to say that this is not actually realizable, right? There is no such thing as an end to contradiction itself. That would be the end of existence. And this same needs to be said of the kingdom, right, or the realm of God that Christians understand to be not yet and to come. And yet, these horizons, these future-oriented visions of well-being can help us identify what is wrong with our world and can urge us to fight for the transformation of things we know truly can be changed. Personally, I think it's okay to imagine utopian worlds as long as they serve to ground us in material struggles that seek to actually transform our world in the here and now. That's one thing that both Christianity and communism, I think, can name for people. And so failure, incompleteness, contradiction, these are things we should accept rather than fear. I take this line from Marika Rose, who we interviewed a few months back. Rather than try to avoid failure, lack, and incompleteness, what if we intentionally sought the failing of some worlds over others? What if we committed ourselves to failing better, for Advent, I think this would mean we deliberately anticipate the failing of some systems over others, <clears throat> the destruction of some political and economic structures over others. This is why I can say that while socialism doesn't promise a world without violence, an end to all antagonisms and conflicting interests, its failures and lack I absolutely choose over the death and destruction and exploitation of capitalism. We might say that the future offers us a variety of failures that are riddled with contradictions that we can either passively or deliberately choose from. Our future ways of being in the world will be imperfect, incomplete, and unsatisfying. And yet, the words of Paul Tillich came to mind when he invites us to have the courage to be. While all of our future worlds will fail, what might it mean as Christians to deliberately choose, take sides, and accept responsibility? We should opt for some worlds over others, some ways of being in relationship over others. And as socialists and communists, I think we should choose socialism and destroy capitalism, choose black freedom and indigenous sovereignty and destroy anti-blackness and white supremacy, choose a world without a gender binary and a gender division of labor, and destroy any attempt to prescribe a sexual or gender normativity.
Which brings me to a final thought. What is to come is not inevitable. The moral arc of the universe is not bent towards justice. Or, if these words of King can serve us in any meaningful way today, they cannot mean what white liberals and ruling imperialist nations have taken this to mean since King's death. Advent theology should be suspicious of any progress narrative that wants to creep in. As Sean Kapner noted in my recent interview with him, this assumption of and belief in the inevitability of social progress primarily serves to reproduce systems like anti-blackness and can render the mass suffering and violence of capitalism either hidden, tolerable, or worse, deserved. Perhaps many Christians uh, miss out on participating in the work of God because we just assume that love will win whether we commit ourselves to the work of love materially and historically or not. And so just to recap the five main points I wanted us to consider here were, number one, Advent could compel us to ask what specifically we want to change about this world. Number two, Advent would have its greatest impact if it is grounded materially and historically. Three, Advent could be a season of anticipating rupture rather than unity. Four, the futures that we anticipate will all fail, and that's something to be embraced as opposed to something to be avoided. And finally, five, what is to come is not inevitable. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to anticipating the rupturing of this world with you this Advent. If you find this work to be meaningful, you can support the show on Patreon by leaving an iTunes rating or review, or by sharing with a friend. I hope this was helpful or meaningful in some way for you all. And again, I just want to encourage you. Is there a local organization in your town, in your community, that is uh, organizing, that is doing work with and for and by the people, right? Not activist or mobilizing work, but genuine organizing. And I, yeah, I'd encourage you all to, to look those groups up, reach out to them. Um, or maybe you need to start it. And, and that will take some time and some preparation and some study and some listening, but um, if Advent is to mean anything for us today, or if we genuinely believe in incarnation, then I hope Advent moves us to, to live and act in a way that actually seeks to transform our world. Thinking and uh, praying for you all.